In his commentary on the Minor Prophets, David Allen Hubbard, seminary president out west, wrote these words. Breathlessly pressing to keep pace with the demands of tomorrow, we men and women who fancy ourselves as modern or postmodern sometimes think that we have outrun our ancient faith in Scripture. We view the Bible today as an old family homestead to be visited occasionally in our attempt to recapture memories of bygone days. But we live somewhere else. Modern life, we think, is too complex to yield to the simple solutions of a faith that appeared millennia ago on shores quite foreign to our circumstances. It is to the contemporary disciplines, especially the behavioral sciences like anthropology, psychology, political sciences, and sociology that we sons and daughters of modernity and postmodernity live in the 21st century. These disciplines can be of help to us, but we will deceive ourselves beyond correcting if we assume that they have replaced the Bible as a reliable guide to human behavior in its emotional, personal, social, and political aspects. Modern man, he goes on to say, has a lot of catching up to do. The men and women of the Bible had an experience with God that cannot be outmoded, and the minor prophets are a case in point. We tackle a series entitled The Minor Prophets, and we've given it a subtitle, Twelve Minor Men, They Spoke in the Past, They Speak Yet Today. Here's what we will do each week in our fall series in here. For me, this is one of the most exciting series that we can take on in a biblical study. In 12 weeks, we are going to cover 12 books of the Bible. And that's significant, the Minor Prophets. How many of you have never done a study, a preach through the Minor Prophets? Don't be ashamed. We haven't done one per se. Okay, several of us. This is a fabulous opportunity to look at them and we'll put them in context, work our way through a study then of the Minor Prophets over the next 12 weeks. What I'm also going to do is encourage you, next week is the book of Hosea. And as we look at Hosea, we'll take one book each week. My challenge to you as you look at each of these different Minor Prophets is to read through that book at least once, perhaps two, three times the week prior to our study. And so if you would do that, it would be fabulous between now and Christmas, actually December 12th, uh, you'll be able to say, I, I read through the Minor Prophets this fall and studied them. And uh, it would be a great opportunity as we go along and work our way through. You take a longer book like Hosea with multiple chapters divided up by, say, six or five, and over the next five, six days to read through uh, two chapters in Hosea would be two and a half, three chapters each day in the book of Hosea. And as you first go through, it may not make that much sense. You're wondering, who is he talking to? Why is he saying what he is saying? And we will put that in context. We are not going to turn this so much into a study as a preach-through study. We will start each evening with a song, word of prayer, launch us into our study probably about ten minutes after six uh, by the time we are actually into it. 
five after six. We'll get study, started in our study fairly quickly. And then what we're going to do at 6.45, we're done. We will take up an offering for five minutes, close in another song, word of prayer. By 6.50, then we're off fellowshipping with others or, or heading to meet our uh, pickup children if they are in a WANA program. It will not be lengthy on Sunday evenings. We will make it packed. And I promise the handouts are going to be just a front and a back. And if I have to make it an eight-point size, we will make it front and a back, all right? You may not be able to read it, but I'm convinced and committed to the fact we're going to get it all on one sheet. And on the back each time, there will be an outline. Sometimes we'll just highlight some of the front portion. Then we'll turn to the back, and there will be an outline that we will actually bring out a major message. You won't always be preaching through the book. We'll be preaching the essence of a book, perhaps in a message then, that deals with the theme of each of the minor prophets. We'll take enough of a study that then, as you've read through it, we capture then what has been going on in that minor prophet. Tonight is a little more of the study than we will do each of the other evenings because we want to introduce, one, the minor prophets, number two, that whole ministry of the prophets, but put the whole study into a context. In his commentary, Dr. Robert Chisholm, called the minor prophets, uh, writes this. It's an interesting way to begin his preface to his commentary on the 12 minor prophets. He says, after going through the looking glass, Alice in Alice in Wonderland, discovered a nonsensical poem called Jabberwocky. Having read it, she declared, quote, It seems very pretty, but it's rather hard to understand. Somehow it seems to fill my head with ideas, only I don't know exactly what they are. End of her quote. Many have responded in a similar way, Chisholm writes, to the strange and puzzling words of the Old Testament prophets. For example... Martin Luther said of the prophets, quote, that they have a queer way of talking, like people who instead of proceeding in an orderly manner, ramble off from one thing to the next so that you cannot make head or tail of them or see what they are getting at. End of Luther's quote. Later on in the story, Alice in Wonderland, Alice met a character by the name of Humpty Dumpty, Chisholm writes, who claimed he could interpret Jabberwocky for her. He boasted, quote, I can explain all the poems that ever were invented and a good many that haven't been invented just yet. Close quote. Despite his self-professed skills and confidence, even Humpty Dumpty would find the Old Testament prophets more than his match. And then Chisholm writes, Because of barriers of language, culture, and time, And geography, the Old Testament prophetic literature, continues to defy and frustrate interpreters. However, because it is the inspired word of God, we must strive with the aid of God's Holy Spirit to understand its message. And to that end, that's why we are in this series. And when we are done, our goal is to have a greater appreciation for and insight into the major portion of this body of literature in the Old Testament that we call the 12 books of the Minor Prophets. I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles and turn with me for a moment to the New Testament, Luke chapter 24. With your Bibles on your laps, we'll look at a few New Testament passages, but I want to go to Luke chapter 24 for just a moment. Someone gets saved as a new believer. We are discipling an individual. And as we work with that person and we try to help them grow in their faith, 
And we are hoping to ground them then in their new faith. We simply tell them to read the Bible. Read the portions then in the Gospel of John and then perhaps on to Acts. And we work our way through. Even in our own lives, I wonder how many times we've gone back to familiar books. Romans, Ephesians, Colossians, Hebrews, James, 1st and 2nd Peter, 1, 2, 3 John. That for you and me seem more practical in their application to the New Testament church and church era. And they are. They were written for this dispensation as well. But all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness. That the man, woman of God may be thoroughly furnished unto all good works. In Luke chapter 24 beginning in verse 25... Jesus, walking with the men on the road to Emmaus, upon the resurrection, as he rose then from the dead. He is no longer here. Why seek ye the living among the dead? He is risen as he said. And as Jesus is walking with them, Luke 24, verse 25, and he says to these two, O foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken, Was it not necessary for Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets. And as Stephen would say, if we were to translate that literally, what would it say? With Moses and with all the prophets. He explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. Verse 44 Now he said to them, these are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which were written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Turn to John's gospel. John chapter 5 for just a moment. John chapter 5 verse 39. In John 5 and verse 39, these words as he is speaking, the witness of the Father who sent me, he has testified of me. Verse 39, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these that testify about me, the scriptures. Romans 15, 4, I'll just quote it to you. And whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning that we through patience, endurance, and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Remember when Dave Dravecki was here? That evening he spoke and everything he spoke about came from that theme verse. That is his theme verse now. The encouragement. Hebrews 1.1, our last passage in the New Testament that we will turn to. And let me read it to you as we often know and quote and take people to this passage of Scripture. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets, in many portions and in many ways in these last days, has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, the one through whom he made the world. So as we begin our study and we think about then the passages we will be looking at, 
These books have value. The last 12 books entitled The Minor Prophets, 12 Minor Men. I used to like that word, the minor prophets, uh, when I was a young convert. and I did not know what that term even meant, the minor prophets. Of course, it struck me as being the lesser important because they... they Uh, probably weren't for the church, and I mistakenly thought then they probably aren't as significant for us. Uh, Minor, when I hear terms like minor men, I kind of like that because you're not real tall, and I, whatever, you can do with that whatever you want to. I happen to do a lot with that, all right? Notice here, but it says, the last 12 books of our English Old Testament are commonly termed the minor prophets comprising 12 of the 17 prophetic books of our English Old Testament, they fall then into this order. And I hope you do know the order. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. And that's how we pronounce them in English. A real trip for me was studying over in Israel on a couple of occasions, but listening to how Hebrew folks over there pronounce the name of them, they come out quite a bit different than the way I say them, but, but I do. And so in the early years, I used to pronounce them Italian, Malachi, and other things like that, but that's not how they are, all right? So as we look at those minor prophets, let me read something again, from Chisholm that he says in his commentary. And then I want to read from one of the great deans of the Old Testament, Charles Feinberg. Chisholm writes this, The title given to the last 12 books of the English Old Testament is an unfortunate label, the Minor Prophets. Though much shorter than Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel, these 12 prophetic books proclaim significant messages, the theological import of which is by no means minor. Feinberg would write these words. One of the literary ineptitudes, inappropriate or not fitting. One of the literary inappropriatenesses or ineptitudes of the centuries is the popular name given to the last 12 books of the Old Testament, namely the Minor Prophets. He goes on to say the impression often gained is that these books are of minor importance. A better designation for them is that which the rabbis employed, and that is the rabbis used to call them simply the what? The Twelve. And they were called the Twelve. The Hebrew canon divided the prophets into two classes. They used to talk about the Old Testament as the the law, the prophets, and the writings. And then when they would take the law, the first five books... And then they would talk about the prophets. And they would talk about what they call the former, or the first, and then the latter prophets. And the former prophets, the earliest ones, Joshua, Judges, Samuel, Kings, fit into that category. And then there would be the latter prophets, And they would be who came later in Israel's history. They would be Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and the Twelve. And so they comprise in the latter prophets. The Twelve then, Feinberg says, were known from ancient times as the smaller prophets because of their relative size compared to Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel. They formed one book in the Hebrew mind to ensure against loss of any of the books. So you had the totality then of the 12. And they'll cover from the ninth all the way down to the 
5th century B.C. Let's look at this real quickly and let me just point out a couple of matters. And that is this. Notice here, the term minor prophets seems to have originated about the time of Augustine. If you read Augustine's City of God, you'll find in that great masterpiece, which was the first philosophy of human history, in a comprehensive history book of his story from creation to the, all the way to the great white throne. And Augustine wrote that and he talked then about the nation of Israel. And in that, he talked about the twelve. And he gave it the title then of these twelve, the minor prophets, comma. And he says, we shall call them minor or shorter because of their length. And it's stuck. And it's stuck now for 1,600 years. Okay? And then, as we said here, as reference to their length and not their importance. And notice we said here again, in the Hebrew Bible, these 12 authors are grouped as one under the title, the 12. And this grouping, because of length, seems to have been completed by the 2nd century before Christ, with the combined work being placed then into the Hebrew Bible, which is significant because the last of these wrote just a couple hundred years before that. The minor prophets all dealt with the same major issues as the major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. But they were actually quoted by, and they were quoted among the major prophets. The minor prophets were exceedingly nationalistic, but they were not isolationists. They would speak much about what was happening to the nation of Israel. We'll talk just a little bit about this as we close the last ten minutes, how Israel would be divided. And unless we understand a timeline of Israel's history, and our homework for this week, as it were, for all of us, is sort of to embed into our minds a timeline of Israel's history. And most people, when they, they read through that, unless they have a, a grasp of that, or if, if they don't have a grasp of that, are somewhat confused. Because you'll read a prophet talking to Israel, another one talking to Judah, and then you read the next minor prophet, and he's talking to Israel, and go two prophets further, and he's talking to Judah. And, and, and you wonder, well, who's he talking to, and why? And what's going on? Okay? Notice, though, They were extremely patriotic and denounced political and moral corruption. This next sentence is important. This has given rise to the modern emphasis on the social message of the prophets. If I could put it this way, the last 30, 40, 50 years, the minor prophets are, it's very vogue. They're kind of in right now, okay? Um, and so they, they've, they've gained popularity again. Folks, there have been many centuries where there, I should say decades into a couple of centuries, where there are no commentaries written on the minor prophets. They just sort of became a lost body of literature. But something's happened the last... 20, 30, 40 years. Not necessarily such a good thing because in preaching and in teaching across the pulpits even of evangelical and conservative churches, uh, rather than gospelizing and, and doing that, there's become much more of a, of a, a again, just like almost 100 years ago, a social emphasis in the preaching. 
Not that we shouldn't be concerned about that, our ethics should be living out, but with a, a social emphasis, almost replacing a salvation emphasis, the minor prophets again come back on the scene, condemning then things going on in the political arena or social arena. That's not why we are studying them. I will close tonight by telling why I believe and why for me the minor prophets are exceedingly important and what I hope by Christmas time as we conclude, as you look at those prophets, what they do for you and for me. It is a striking fact that there is scant, little material on the minor prophets. little further, a cursory inspection of any religious library will corroborate this. There is a wealth of material on most of the books of the Bible, but when you leave Daniel and pass over to Hosea, it's like going from a fertile valley to a sterile desert. All right? And so I think we get the idea. They are minor of importance to most people. If you ask most people, take your Bibles and turn, please, to the book of Nahum. The, <clears throat> what? Okay, where? And, for mo- and if they land in the book of Joel, it's like, is that, do I have to go forward or backward? Where's Obadiah found? Now, I'd ask for a show of hands for how many is that. A, is that a, and for most of us, we have to raise our hand. Okay? Simply because if you land in Romans, you know John or Matthew's before it. Don't we? And Hebrews comes a little bit later. Minor prophets, because probably on one hand, we could count the number of folks in here who've had their devotions this past week in the minor prophets. It's just, they're not studied that much. As to the various ministries of each of the minor prophets, they may be grouped, as we said, into three sections. And here's what's going to be important to us. And this will be, as we look at the timeline, prophets to Judah, prophets to Israel, and the post-exilic period prophets. Except for those prophets of the post-exile period, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, the minor prophets, for the most part, ministered with the major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel. You can look, and uh, as you look here, by the books, which ones were to Israel, which ones were to Judah, and which ones were the post-exilic. We'll talk about that in a few moments, but we've also put years there. And the number of chapters, they're not very long. They're relatively short books. What I want to do over the next few minutes, if you can scribble a couple of things in, um, let's, let's do a review. Uh, this is a little more teaching than I'd like to, but if you'll just bear with me tonight for the next 10, 15 minutes, and, and then we'll get into the preaching more next week. But I do want to say this. Let's write the origin of the office of a prophet. And uh, let's talk about that briefly before we plunge into this study. We won't be referencing it again. And if you'll turn with me back to Deuteronomy 18 this evening in the Word of God. Let's go to Deuteronomy 18. We won't be looking at a lot of different texts. We'll begin the Minor Prophets next week with Hosea. Tonight, though, I want to turn to a couple of other portions. Deuteronomy 18 is really important. And we'll jump all the way to verse 15. We could start in verse 9. But I would like to go to verse 15 for just a moment. Deuteronomy 18.15. And there is a pericope. A paragraph, a thought unit in Deuteronomy 18 that begins in verse 15 and the thought unit by a bracket actually goes down to verse 22. That's one capsule. And you really need to, if you want to do one of those square brackets, and then you can write the office or proof of a prophet. This was very important. And the reason is, who wrote the book of Deuteronomy? Who wrote it? 
Moses, except the last portion of it, of course, where it talks about his death, all right? But as you look in Deuteronomy, Moses is recognized as the first prophet because he is the first to speak and record the word of God under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So in Deuteronomy 18, he's going to predict the coming of prophets to Israel. And he will set forth their basic qualifications. In the New Testament, we have qualifications for apostles. We have qualifications for elders, bishops. We have qualifications for deacons. In the Old Testament here, we have the qualifications for the office of a prophet. Okay? Now notice, he writes, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your countrymen, and you shall listen to him. This is according to all that you asked of the Lord your God in Horeb. Go on down to verse 18. I will raise up a prophet from among their countrymen like you, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And it shall come about that whoever will not listen to my words, which he shall speak in my name, I myself will require of him. But the prophet who speaks a word presumptuously in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or which he speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. Uh Uh-oh. You may say in your heart, how will we know the word which the Lord has not spoken? Fulfilled prophecy. When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing does not come about or come true, that is the thing which the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You shall not be afraid of him. See if it comes to pass. Now notice, the Hebrews referred to the books then of Joshua, Judges, Samuel, and Kings as the former prophets. Samuel established the school of the prophets, giving them a distinct office. But prophets came into greater prominence as the offices of priests and kings would degenerate in time. Moses, the first of the prophets to speak and to write then under the direction and inspiration of the Holy Spirit... In Israel, there were two kinds of mediator. What's a mediator? What is a mediator? We know what that is. A what? A simple go-between. I heard it, a go-between. And a a go-between, in other words, someone would go between us and God. Today we have what we call the what? And this is something that... In the believer's church, the last several hundred years, we have emphasized, exceedingly emphasized, it's called the what? The priesthood, say it with me, priesthood of the believer. And we stand before God, the New Testament says, as a kingdom of priests. And we come to the Lord through our great high priest, Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament... People approached God through a priest. And God spoke to the people through a prophet. All right? And so he would be, as the priest represented the people for God in their worship, the prophet, and the word was Nabi. It's spelled N-A-B-B-I. But in the Hebrew language, you pronounce it Navi with V's, victor sound. N-A-V-V-I, a Navi. And the word simply means a Navi, one who speaks in the place of. Time will escape, so I won't go there, but if you want to jot it down, it would be Exodus chapter 4, 
verses 10 through 16. In Exodus chapter 4, and you needn't turn there, but let me read to you Exodus chapter 4 for just a moment. Then Moses said to the Lord, Please, Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither recently nor in time past, for I am slow of speech. And the Lord said, Who has made man's mouth? Now then, go, and I, even I, will be with your mouth and teach you. And he then talks, and I will have one speak for you, a Navi. Chapter 7, Exodus 7, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I will make you as God to fear, and your brother Aaron shall be your Navi, your prophet, your spokesperson. One who speaks in the place of another. These men would speak in the place of God. Now with that in mind, there were three basic aspects. I just want to underline that little phrase. To the mediatorial role of the prophets. They were preachers, predictors, and I'll use the word watchmen. But if you want to put another word there, watchmen, you could use the word preservers or pastors in that sense. The prophets functioned. And this is going to be very, very important. Because usually when you and I hear the word a prophet... We think of someone who does what? What does a prophet do? Tells the future. The Old Testament prophets functioned in three ways. One of the ways was a predictor. But first, the prophets were primarily what? Preachers. Forcefully expounding truth that had been neglected, misunderstood, You take men like Elijah, Elisha, and others. They were prophets. Gad, Nathan, others. And what they would do would be calling David, calling kings, calling them back to God's revealed truth. And so in a sense then, what they were was a preacher. And I've given you several verses there. Not everything the prophets spoke was new truth. They expounded then truth that had been neglected or misunderstood, hidden or unknown. Malachi 4.4, Daniel 9. I'll give you a couple of other verses to jot in there. Jeremiah 1.7, Jeremiah 11.1-5, Jeremiah 15.9. If you'll look those up throughout this week, please. Okay? But the prophets also did what we call predicting. And that's why they were called seers. As if, they could, as if they could see off into the future. Seers. 1 Samuel 9, 9. Seers. They foretold coming persons or events. And based on the needs of the time, they would even foretell judgment or blessing. As horrific as Habakkuk, predicting who's coming. The Babylonians will sweep through this nation. And it's like, can't be. And even for the prophet Habakkuk, as he's to proclaim that, he is saying what to God at the same time? No! How can this be? I'm confused. How can God bring good out of something as calamitous as that? Why would God allow it to happen? And a great challenge to you and me. How can this possibly work out for good in God's great providential design scheme program? And men like Habakkuk then 
become the revealers then of what God is doing as they look toward the future. But notice number three. And by the way, as preachers then, what they did is they forth-told. F-O-R-T-H. Forth-told. They preached. As those who predicted or some of the same ones then would be seeing into the future, they would foretold. Foretell. F-O-R-E. So they foretell and they foretell. The other things that the prophets did is they would be watchmen. Think of Ezekiel. The Lord calls him a what? Watchman. Who will stand in the gap as a watchman. As it were, the metaphor or picture of standing on the wall and looking out. An enemy is coming. The enemy is upon us. The enemy being the spiritual enemy, as it were. To stand in the gap who will take up that responsibility, a watchman. And by the way, in the New Testament, the Lord tells pastors to do that, watchmen for the flocks, okay? To watch and to guard. In that sense, they functioned for the nation, in a sense, pastorally. They preached against sins of the leaders and the people. They were the guardians of Israel's constitution. And that's why I call them then like pastors, or the better word would be preservers and defenders of the principle of God's laws for the people. The prophet. Well, that's enough of that. We've got enough of you for you to study and look at. And please, as you would, if you, you would take time and review some of that, look up those verses. These men were used greatly by God to disclose events, folks, that you and I yet, well, Lord willing, by God's grace, we won't ever have to see. There's still even future for you and me. And there there are some events coming. You read the book of Joel and some of those that I just praise God. I'm on the winning team. God worked in our lives. They have a lot to say. There are some books when you read Hosea and you read chapters 1, 2, 3, which we'll be looking at next week. And as you read that and you read it, you'll find yourself all alone and the tears start running down the cheek when you realize how my sin affects my Savior today. And it's, it's overwhelming. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. I would like to do something real quickly. And I'd actually pound on spending about 15 minutes here. I'm not a betting man, but there are a lot of folks saying, there's no way you're going to do this each week in 40 minutes. And I'm, I sure am. I'll just quit. Okay. But, <laughs> but it is important. The last... On the chronology of the Old Testament, this is very significant. I put down some key dates there. Can you write some things sideways on that? I'll read something if I may. In the Statement of Faith of Colonial Baptist Church, under our Statement of Faith in Section 3.1 of the Doctrinal Statement, you come to A, Scriptures, B, the Triune God, C, Jesus Christ, D, the Holy Spirit, E, the Devil, F, Creation, Here we at Colonial believe the Genesis account of creation as being neither allegory nor myth, but a literal, historical account of the direct, immediate, creative acts of God over six literal days without any evolutionary process. That man, spirit, body, and soul, 
was created by a direct work of God and not from previously existing forms of life, and that all men are descended from the historical Adam and Eve, first parents of the entire human race. Genesis 1 and 2, John 1, 3, Colossians 1, 16 and 17. Now, that short paragraph also brings with it a whole lot more that we unpack. But when you talk in terms then of that paragraph, that also does something that talks about not billions of years, not millions of years, but what we call a recent creation. Now, sometime perhaps even it could have been 10,000 to 5,000 B.C., may have been the creative act of God. It's hard to pinpoint a date because men did not write. We don't have writing history till a little bit before 3000 BC. Seven, we have records of people living in communities about 5,000, 6,000 BC right in there. We can age those by metals the different bronze, stone age, bronze age, iron, etc. It is entirely possible that our earth is not nearly as old, and for the majority of us in this room, we believe that. And so I put the 5,000, but 10,000 to 5,000 may be Adam and Eve. And we're not really sure in the time because there can be some generational discussions in the account of Genesis. Right around 2500, we are in the, about the Noahic period, Noah, between 3000 and 2500. If you want to insert something, and I'm rounding these off in 500 periods, just so we can have a timeline. At about 2000, if you want to put Abraham, okay? I didn't leave room there, but if you'll put a line right there and put, so 2500 Noah, 2000 Abraham. And actually, Abraham might have been about 2166 to 1991 B.C. But let's just wrap it all around 2000. About the year 1500, Moses. 1300 to 1200, we have the conquest and judges. I put the year 1000 because that's David, King David. Saul will come to the throne, 1 Samuel 13, 1. Saul will come to the throne about the year 1050. He will rule for 40 years. About 1010 B.C., David will come to the throne. He will rule from 1010 to 970. And then his son Solomon in 970 B.C. to 930 will sit on the throne. Those three kings in what we call the United Kingdom will rule and reign for 120 years. Israel is made up of 12 tribes in a united kingdom under those three great kings for 120 years. Solomon's son, Rehoboam, is going to come to the throne in the year 931. 930. And when he comes to the throne, there are issues. His father had been taxing the people greatly, and his advisors will tell him, he will ask them, he'll ask the older men, what should I do? There's murmuring among the people. They've come to me and said to release some of the pressures that my dad, Solomon, had put on the people to build this great empire. And the older men will say, it's been many years, and the people are tired, relax. He will ask his colleagues that are his age, and they will say, if you want to be great, 
put the screws down even tighter. And the older men say, that's not wise. And Rehoboam will say, there's more wisdom in my little finger than my forefathers had in their thighs. And in his boast, Jeroboam, generals and others, are going to rend the kingdom from him. It'll split. And the kingdom of Israel of 12 tribes is going to split. Ten northern tribes will be known as Israel. And the two southern tribes, Judah and Benjamin, are going to take the title Judah. There will be 19 kings of the north and there will be 19 kings of the south. None of the kings of the north will be honorable men. A half a dozen of the southern ones will be. The northern kingdom is going to go from 931 and there will be prophets preaching to them about their sin. Preaching to Israel. Men like Jonah and others calling them back to God. They won't listen. And in the year 722... The kingdom of Assyria will invade and carry the people out and take them captive. They will deport the people and they will bring foreigners into the land and they will intermarry. Down through the ages they'll become known as Samaritans and others, okay? 722, the northern kingdom's destroyed. The prophets continue to preach to the southern kingdom of Judah. Now keep in mind, Judah... And the kingdom of Judah and Benjamin, Judah, their worship center is Jerusalem. And they will exist a little longer. But they too will be... And by the way, you know names of kings like the northern kingdom, remember? Omri will have son Ahab. Ahab has this wonderful wife, quite a beauty. What's her name? Jezebel, all right. So we know stories like that. That ends in 722. But God will raise up the Babylonians and they will march through around 605, 597, and finally in 586, they come through and they sack Jerusalem. And they carry the people off into captivity, known as the 70-year captivity. And we could talk more about that, but time's gone. They will carry them captive And finally then, they return in 538 under Ezra. By 520, there's the preaching by the minor prophets to rebuild the temple area again. And then we will, there will return under Ezra in 430 another group. And they will be rebuilding then the actual temple. And they'll start doing that. And we'll have the preaching then of Malachi, and with that's the closing then of the Old Testament. Sort of a timeline, but it becomes very important now because you will have these prophets who will preach to Israel, the northern ten, Judah, the southern two tribes, and then the post-exilic after they come back. The thing that's important in the prophets, and with this we close tonight, why study the minor prophets? Well, we can talk about their prophecies of coming doom. You'll see expressions like day of the Lord over and over and whatnot. The important thing in all of them is you could do a study in a commentary like Stephen Sharnock's masterful two-piece volume on the existence and attributes of God. But when you read the minor prophets, what you get 
is these constant descriptions by God himself about his character. Truth, justice, love, chesed, loving kindness, faithfulness. When you study the minor prophets, that body of literature isn't primarily to look into the future as much as to hear that our God loves us and is faithful. So it's an encapsulation of the heart and love for God for his people. He will do anything to bring his people back to him. And he will do anything to protect them. And that's what we're going to get out of the Minor Prophets. And you know what? It's kind of like reading love notes from our God. And that's a good thing before Christmas, isn't it? That's what we'll do over the next 12 weeks. Assignment for us? Next week, between now and then, read the book of Hosea once. If you can read it twice, that'd be a wonderful thing. If you would bow with me and let us me lead us in a word of prayer and have the privilege of taking us to the throne, we're going to ask the Lord's blessing on our evening. Then as we get ready to dismiss, and well, I went three minutes over. We'll do better in the weeks to come, all right? Fathers, we bow before you this evening. We thank you for your faithfulness to us. As we look at these different men and how you raised them up to tell Israel in the midst of some of the most chaotic times in their history, under some of the most vile leaders, and when the people had turned their backs on God, You never turned your back. You came after them and said again, the Lord is looking for people of a contrite heart because you are merciful, long-suffering, and gracious. Thank you that you reveal to us concepts, attributes in terms that we can understand. Too often we think of God as big, powerful, distant, too transcendent for us to even know, to care about what's going on in our daily life. But when we read these men, we get a whole different glimpse that our God cares. He knows, He sees, and He loves us. So teach us much through these books, we pray. So we pray in Jesus' name, amen.